we can. In fact, um, we're going to look at that subject tonight, knowing you have eternal life, because we've been studying <laughs> about three years ago Arminianism, and uh, we're going to get back to that subject tonight, and we're going to look at the doctrine of eternal security and see what God has to say about it. So I hope you'll join us tonight at 6. I didn't say anything about that earlier. Got caught up in the mission stuff, all right? Uh, so tonight at 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock, choir. So 5 choir, 5.30 prayer time for those that can make it. Fellowship after the service. It's international dinner night. And you don't have to be, I guess, you don't have to have any relation to the food you're bringing as far as, you know, like where it's from. But I've heard some good things we're going to get to try tonight. So I hope you will... Uh, bring bring food, and we'll just enjoy some fellowship together. If you haven't yet signed up, make sure you do that if you would, so we just know and have an idea how many are coming, and we'll be part of that time. All right, now I've done that. Slusters are waiting. Children can head on out. While you turn to Philippians chapter 4, young people can head out for time in the Word of God while we get into the Word of God and learn what God has for us today. There is a great verse in Philippians chapter 4. Actually, there's a number of verses. Philippians 4 is memory worthy. Uh, there are numerous verses that we quote in the book of Philippians, but especially, probably more in Philippians chapter 4 than any other place, or, well, definitely in the book of Philippians, and maybe even in one chapter more than you would find in most chapters of Scripture. Um, very familiar verses. We, we talk about um, uh, the peace of God that passes understanding. In verses 6 and 7, it talks about that when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're careful, uh, worried about things. Um, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Who hasn't heard that verse before? If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you'll be encouraged by that wonderful promise. And there's another promise that's given that often is quoted, verse 19. We're going to look at that today. The Bible says this. In fact, you know it, so join with me and say it if you would. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There is a wonderful promise there in verse 19 of God providing for your needs. Do you know the context of it? Do you know what God is teaching when he promises to meet your needs. If not, then today, Philippians chapter 4 and the verses that surround this are going to be of help to your life because it's important. I think everyone in this room would say, I want God to meet my needs. Okay, then you've got to be doing what's talked about in this passage. So let's see what God has for us today. We'll read a few verses in just a moment, but let's pray first. Father, we are thankful for the promises of Scripture, the, the many promises that are given throughout Scripture. Philippians 4 has a few for us that we're very grateful for, and without a doubt, verse 19 is a wonderful encouragement to know that you do meet needs. You are a, a need-meeting God. And I thank you that you promised to supply all our need, and I pray that we would understand better what this passage is all about and what's being taught here so that we might experience the great blessing of verse 19. Uh, Father, please meet with us today. Help me to say the things that ought be said, only what ought be said. And I pray that you would speak powerfully through your word to your people. 
for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to look at giving. I know, you always get that kind of We are. Because if you understand Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, you'll understand that when God promises to meet your needs, it's in the context of, it's in light of you learning to be a giver. Now, I always, always seem to couch a message on giving by explaining everything. I'm not going to do that today. Um, we just need to find what God, or find out what God has to say about the subject of giving. And Missions Month is, is a great time to do that because God has given us instruction and guidance in the matter of giving in his word. And do you know that Philippians chapter 4, it's not a stretch to say that this verse and the verses that surround it are, are talking about and dealing with giving to missions. Uh, now you say, well, wait a second. The church here was talking about, uh, or Paul was talking about giving to him. That's right. And Paul, Paul could fit in just about any category you want. You could call him a pastor. You could call him a, um, an evangelist, without a doubt. But if you were to describe Paul's ministry, probably more accurate than anything else would be missionary. Paul was a sent one. One sent by God to reach the Gentile world, and that involved actually traveling around the different locales and different places and starting churches. And as he saw people run to Christ, he would start a church, and then he would start, and then he'd go to another area, and they would start another church. And uh, that was basically his ministry. He was, he was involved in missions work. He was a sent one, sent by God. Acts chapter 13 talks about that, to go out and reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Philippians chapter 4 is about how God met his needs as he was doing that work. And so verse 19 is couched in all of, or, or in that uh, subject of giving. And we're going to see what God has to say today about the matter of giving for missions and just giving in general from what he teaches us when he says, my God shall supply all your need. One of the great promises of Scripture based upon our obedience to what's being taught in this passage. William is 16 years old when he left home. Now, you might think if he was leaving home when he was 16 that he was a rebel, but that was not the case at all. In fact, William had a heart for God. He was leaving home at age 16 back in the 1800s, because his dad was out of work. There were no finances to provide any longer, and he needed to find work in order to help provide just life for himself, because his dad didn't have sufficient. And so William left home, not as a rebel, but in order to provide, because he didn't have very much at all in life. It was 1804 when he left with all his worldly possessions, and they were in a small bundle, and he headed to New York City. His God-honoring mother had taught him throughout the years to love God, and William did indeed love God. She had passed away, though, and, uh, and he was going now to make it on his own in life. What was interesting was during his trip, he had to cross uh, a, a um, couple of different bodies of water, and there was a, a canal operator 
a captain of a canal boat, sorry, that gave him some godly advice on his way to New York. He talked about what he was planning to do, William, when he, he got to New York. And the captain of that, of that vessel uh, said that if he would live for God, if he would serve God and put God first, that God would indeed bless his work when he went to New York. And William took those words very, uh, with, took that advice very carefully, thought a lot about it. And he was committed when he went to New York that he was going to live for God. And he had determined, by the way, that God was going to be put first in all matters of his life, including money. He had determined that when he got a job, as soon as he got a job, he would give God at least a tenth of what God had given to him. Now, that decision didn't make life easy for him. He had nothing in this world, and his first job was an apprentice to a soap boiler. And let me tell you, it didn't bring in a lot of money. But true to his word, true to the challenge from the canal operator, true to the, uh, the, the boat operator, true to his, the teaching that his mother gave him, he took 10% and put it aside. And he continued to be faithful to God in giving. And God did indeed prosper uh, his work. He eventually became partner in the soap manufacturing business. When his partner died a few years later, he became the sole owner. Shortly after becoming the sole owner of this business, he instructed his bookkeeper to open an account with the Lord. He said, I want you to put 10% of all earnings, of all profit, uh, into this account with the Lord, and it's going to be given to the Lord's work. And that is exactly what the bookkeeper uh, did. The business William had prospered phenomenally under his leadership. But if you were to ask William, why is your business successful? He would say, because I set up an account with God. Because I made a decision God was going to come first in my life, and I've honored that. You know, after a little while, he thought that 10% wasn't enough. So he went to his bookkeeper and he said, I want you to make it 20% now. And you know, when he made that decision that his business jumped uh, really pretty much consistent with the 10% increase. Not only that, but a short time later, because he saw what God did as a result of his giving, he went to his bookkeeper and he said, let's make it 30%. Later, 40%. Finally, 50% of all his profits were going to the Lord's work. In fact, William went to a Baptist church in New York, actually was going to be a Presbyterian at one time, wrote back to his father, who was an Arminian Baptist, and his father set him straight about some things. He got it right. He ended up going to a Baptist church, becoming a member of a Baptist church there. He eventually changed to another Baptist church in New York City, William, a, a church basically, a tabernacle that he built with his own funds from the money that God had given him in the profit of his business. Now, you say, well, you know, what's so special about William? Well, William learned that God honors his word. Now, you probably don't know William personally because he lived in the 1800s, but you've heard his name before. His name was William Colgate. Maybe you use his products even today. A man that God honored 
because he honored God. He learned to put God first. In Philippians chapter 4, we have before us a passage in verse 19 that really does deal with the subject of giving. And Paul, beginning in verse 14, eh, really beginning in verse 14, because verse 14 is kind of jumping in the middle, but we're going to pick up in verse 14. It's, deal, it's jump, jumping in the middle of the subject of, of Paul and his needs and how he learned to be content. Actually, if you were looking at the verses before this, verse 12, I know how to be a base, I know how to abound, and then I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he begins in verse 14 to talk with this church about what they had been doing. Notice what he says. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul is talking with the church here, and in uh, verses 14 to 19, he expresses what had been going on. In fact, we begin with, in verse 14, 16, 17, and 18, what we'll call the conduct of the church. The conduct of the church. And I know we're picking up in the middle of thought, but in verse 14, the verses before, he says, you know, God has supplied for my needs. He said, there have been time I haven't had much. There's been time I've had plenty. There's been time when I've been hungry. There's there's been time when when I've had more than enough to eat. Um, But, you know, God has always taken care of me. He supplied my needs, and he used, verse 14, you. And he says, I want you to know that I'm thankful that God used you to meet my needs as I've been ministering the gospel in other places. If you were to take time this morning and look in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we don't have time to do it, we're not going to take time this morning, but if you were to look in verses 8 and 9, you know what he said to the church at Corinth? I have robbed from other churches to provide preaching and teaching to you. I have been supplied from other churches and from other people so that I might minister to you when in reality you could have been meeting my needs. He was rebuking the church at Corinth, ultimately. Do you know where he got supplied? You're reading about it. He actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, talked to the church at Corinth and he said, the churches of Macedonia have given and I want you to be a giving people as well. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 of of the book of, actually it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And so Paul pointed to to the Corinthians, to the churches at Macedonia, from which Philippi was one. And he praises them here, and he talks to them about this, and he says, hey, your conduct has been right. In fact, notice what he says, notwithstanding ye have, what did he say about it in verse 14? Ye have, next two words, well done. Well done. Giving is a positive thing. You've done well. Giving to provide for those who spread the gospel is a good thing. 
When we ask you to give to the cause of missions, when we ask you to give to the spread of the gospel, you know what? There's nothing to be ashamed about in asking for that. Now, I know, and this is one of the reasons why I found that a lot of times when I preach messages on giving, and I don't do it all that often, see, I'm doing it now, we always feel like we got to excuse what we're doing. But what we're doing when we preach about giving is encouraging people to obey God. And we are encouraging people to do what churches did in the, at the beginning of the in very early church, stages of the church. They were taught to give, just as they did in the Old Testament times and as the Old Testament taught. We are just encouraging people to do something that's good. You have well done that you have communicated uh, with my affliction. Giving is a positive thing because giving provides for others to do the Lord's work. And so, therefore, uh, it's doing well. Well done are the words God says about someone who gave. A preacher said, I'm often amused to hear Bible scholars and church members and general public debate about whether the New Testament teaches tithing. He said, such a discussion often degenerates into arguments that tithing is an issue of the Old Testament law, which is seldom mentioned in the New Testament. Such an argument actually misses the point and keeps us bogged down in legalistic debates on how little one can give and still be faithful to Scripture. He concluded by saying what we should be discussing is how much can we invest during our lifetime. Paul said to the church at Philippi, you're doing a good thing because you have given to meet my needs. You have been investing. Do you know that he actually uses terms talking about investing in verse 15? He said, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He talks about giving and receiving as a financial transaction between someone, someone who pays for, if you would, goods, and someone who receives the money for those goods or receives the, the goods. And that's how he described it. He said, look, this is a positive thing. You are investing, and you are investing in your lifetime in something that is good. In fact, if you look in verse 16, he said, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And it's interesting, the word necessity there means employment or work. They were giving to Paul's work, to Paul's employment. Now, it also can mean, and, and actually both are fit in the context, it can mean destitution. And he did say his affliction in verse 14. So Paul had a need. The church of Philippi saw and understood that Paul had a need. And actually, we don't even know if they knew that every time they gave, because they gave a number of times. And they gave, and the Lord met the need. And Paul said, this is a good thing. Giving is a positive thing. And he said as well, giving is a productive thing. Look at verse, uh, well, verses 14, 15, and 16 give us that picture. But I love verse 17 because he said this. He said, and he was talking about giving, right? He says, not because I desire a gift. Paul wasn't there saying, give more people because, because my air-conditioned doghouse at, at home needs, needs attention. He wasn't saying give because I only have eight rings on my fingers and I have two thumbs and I could put more jewels on if you would just give more money. Our TV show is going to go off. Have you seen those kind of, you know, those people that we're going to go off the air if you don't give, people? But Paul wasn't saying that. He said, look, it's not that I desire a gift because, because he knew that his God would supply 
on his name. But he said, I desire what? Look at verse 17. I desire fruit that might abound to your account. Do you know giving is a good thing? It's, it's a right thing. And, and giving uh, certainly is a positive thing. But giving is a productive thing. Do you know who it's productive for? The one ministering and the people giving, if verse 17 is true. Here's the truth. You are making an investment when you give to the Lord's work. When you give to the spread of the gospel for missions, you're making an investment. Not just in them, in yourself. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. Now, some people give just because they're looking to get. But do you know throughout Scripture, God promises that those who give, he will bless? He said in the book of Malachi, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. You, you, you remember that? Bring, bring all the tithes. And God said that he would open the windows of heaven, didn't he? And pour you out a blessing. When God talks about giving in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus Christ talked about that, he talked about how God would give back, how men actually would give back into your bosom, good measure pressed down and flowing over. God, in three, at least three different places, if not more than that, says in Scripture, as he does in verse 17, that giving is for your benefit to the matter of giving. So giving is a positive thing. Giving is a productive thing. Notice, though, what he says in verse 14. Go back there for a moment. I want you to see uh, not only the conduct of the church, but I want you to see the co-participation. I had to come up with a good one there. The co-participation of the church. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did. And what's the next word? Okay, I could have used that word because that starts with C, right? But... Um, you know when he said uh, what communication is with my affliction? It really is. Actually, part of the definition was co-participation. That they became, by giving, participants in Paul's ministry. It was an amazing thought. Um, I've already said it. Lord willing, going to be in Ireland in about three months. Not that I'm excited about that. You haven't heard anything about that, I know. Um, they're going to be in Ireland in three months, going to see the Perros, and Lord willing, we'll be in a church service with them uh, on Sunday at the end of April. And I'm looking forward to participating with them in a service at their church. But I don't know if you understand this. If you give to missions here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church, you're participating today in their service. It's a six hours difference. So it's about, uh, what, five, five o'clock there? Uh, they already had their morning service. They'll probably be having their evening service shortly. And, you know, in a sense, if what Paul said was true, when you give, you, you're, you're participating in the ministry that's being had there because we support the Peros on a monthly basis. But you're also participating in Germany, which is an hour later, so they're probably starting uh, their evening service now. And, and you're participating this morning in Canada, 
where all the snow is, uh, as the Rasmussen's uh, minister uh, there in near Pickle Lake. Um, you, you have a ministry, and you are participating uh, in ministries all over. I don't know where the Delaney's are this morning. I know that you and I this morning are in Chattanooga. You know that? Having a part in a service, I'm not sure if Brother Morris is speaking in the morning service, but maybe right now, you're co-participating in the ministry that they have because you're giving to missions. If you have a part, you're co-participating. And I didn't want you to miss that. That jumped out at me. And I, I thought, well, okay, I know what communication was the idea of giving, and it's talking about giving there. But when he said that he communicated, he said, you are sharing in company with my ministry. And what a blessing that is. What a blessing to know that, hey, I've never seen, I've never been to Ireland. I've never been to Germany. Uh, I, I have been to Canada, but I've never been to see the Rasmussen's and their ministry there. But, but yet, I've had a part in their ministry for years. Actually, I had a part in their ministry when they were in warm weather in Suriname as well, uh, years ago. And the Lord moved them to Canada. Wow, what a change, you know, going to, from Suriname in the, what, 90s and, and 80s, 90s, and 100s all the time to, oh, wow. Okay, I don't even know how they could do that. But uh, we were co-participated co in all of those ministries with them. What a blessing it is to have a part in giving. And that's the picture he gives to the church here as he shares with us the wonderful truth, my God shall supply all your need. So, uh, the conduct of the church, the co-participation of the church, the communication of the church, verses 15 and 16. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that's when the church first started, when they, when they first were beginning. When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. This is interesting. Uh, the communication of the church. Notice this. They were alone in their giving. Uh, I, I remember um, a, a preacher uh, telling about uh, the treasure in his church. And the treasure in his church came to the preacher and said that he was bothered about something. Well, you know, the preacher's concerned. Anytime the treasurer comes and says, I'm bothered about something, you, you better pay attention. Well, what he's bothered about was that there was only like three people in the church that were giving the missions and a few people gave a few dollars and other things like that. And, and he was bothered about that. Now, I understand that. First of all, you got a treasurer that's worried about those things. you got a treasurer who shouldn't be doing that job, for starters, because you can't pay attention to what people are giving. And if you do, you, you're, you're going to be in trouble. I, by the way, I don't look over giving records. I don't know what people have given. I don't. Whether you know that or not, I don't know what people have given here. I don't look at it because I don't want to. I, 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 I both don't want to be discouraged and I don't want to be encouraged either way on that. Okay, I don't want to know because I think it helps me to better serve if I just am not looking and saying, oh, look at what so-and-so gave this past week. But what was true here and what was a bother to this man was something that he shouldn't have been looking at or worried about. Say, why? This church didn't worry about what anyone else is doing. None of the other churches in Macedonia were giving. Later on, when he challenges the church at Corinth, he said, the churches of Macedonia. So others caught on. But you know who started it out when no one else was doing it? 
the church at Philippi. And there is a lesson to be learned about giving. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the Umsteads give. It, it, it doesn't matter what Mrs. Spitzer gives. It doesn't matter what the Cynthians are giving. It doesn't matter if they give. As far as God is concerned, that's between them and God. What matters is whether or not you are doing what God wants you to do. And if you're all alone, if you are the only one that gives to missions at Spring Meadow Baptist Church, then you will be the only one who can claim the promise of verse 19 in Philippians chapter 4 in this church. See, it doesn't matter how many are involved. It just matters that if you're supposed to be, that you be involved. And that's what's great about this church. No one else was doing it, but they were. No one else communicated with them. Paul didn't receive any other offerings. It was a lean time at the start when he first left Macedonia. Um, but God used this church. They were alone. Why am I the only one involved? You know what? What matters is whether you're obeying God or not. And this church was. What a testimony of these people. So if no one else gives, here's the question. Will you cheerfully be involved in helping to get the gospel to a lost world by obeying God's command and instruction? Not only were they alone, but we find that they were active. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica... You sent me one big offering. Sorry, that's not it, is it? What does it tell you there? It said he's, they sent once and again unto my necessity. We could even maybe say informed to an extent. Um, have you ever seen those commercials? They tug at your heartstrings. I, I, I hate. I, I don't. I, I hate seeing them. Did they show the the the. the the children with bloated stomachs and um, and man, they know how to they know how to pull at the heartstrings, don't they? They they show they they never show some some guy sitting watching TV and he's eating popcorn, you know, and saying we're gonna this guy's gonna be making money off your 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 giving, you know. They always show they always show uh, people that are suffering. Uh, if it's not uh, them, it's it's animals, you know, and they show they show this shaking dog. You know. <laughs> And and, it's, and and you know yeah, well, I don't laugh about that. I take that seriously. Okay, fine. But it's all designed to pull at your heartstrings so that you will give this one time. And then they ask you like for the next 60 years every week if you'll give more uh, to the cause. Uh, but they're just trying to bring some emotional appeal. Paul didn't do that. In fact, best we know how, he didn't really even go to the church and say, do this, do this, do this. The church just said, there's a need. We're going to continue to meet that need. We're going to do everything we possibly can. And they did it actively. He said, you sent once and again to my necessity. So there must have been a number of collections. These people understood that this is something I do one time. This is something because someone made me feel bad. Have you ever... Have you ever given to a cause because someone made you feel bad because you weren't? I'm too stubborn. I, you know, I like, I, I'll, I'll dig my feet in when, when I start feeling like someone's trying to, to get me to give just, just, you know, make me feel like I'm guilty about not giving. So-and-so just gave $20. Will someone give $30? You know, it's like, uh, I don't like those, I don't like that kind of appeal. This church didn't need that. 
they were just active. They said, okay, look, as long as there's need, we're going to have a part. And Paul could share that. They were active in their giving. They were alone in their giving. And they had attitude in their giving. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, their attitude was to, to be a blessing and to meet the needs. Verse 18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Uh, so he says, look, I have received these things. And, and their attitude was, hey, we want to be a blessing. We want to meet the need. We want God to use us. And he did. But I think their attitude is better seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So I made reference to this. Turn there real quickly, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because God talks about and uses the churches of Macedonia. Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia, now more than just Philippi, who are giving to help him as he ministers the word of God to them. And in this passage, he says, God loves a hilarious giver, the cheerful giver, you know? That's right. You've seen every preacher talks about, you know, laughing when you give, all right? But God does love a cheerful giver. And he deals with the subject of giving in these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9. But he began chapter 8 by saying, I want you to know about the grace of God in this matter of giving that has, was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And he describes their situation. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. You know what? They didn't even have it to give. This is what's interesting about it. These people weren't, these people weren't living uh, over in Keystone, you know, ac across the road in the $400,000 house that probably a lot of those people owe more than they'll ever be able to pay on. You know, they, they, weren't, living, they weren't living in Brentwood in the, in the big fancy houses, the, the couple million dollar houses. These people were... These people were in poverty. <laughs> they, they, they were the ones in, in the picture that, that, uh, that, that had the bloated stomach. I, you know what I mean? They were the ones actually that had need and that Paul did not even expect them necessarily to be giving. But they did. And he talks about these people in poverty who gave Richly, liberally, there is a time when a Christian should be liberal. And they gave liberally to the, to the cause that was needed, but notice what he said to their power, verse 3, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Do you know where giving started with them and where the, what their attitude was? Their attitude was, God, we're yours. So what, what do you want us to do? And God, these men are serving you. So Paul said, you gave, you, you gave yourselves to us as well. These men are serving God. So as we serve you and as we serve them according to the will of God, what do you want us to do? And their heart was, okay, God, whatever it is. And they gave themselves to God, and God directed them to have a part in meeting the needs. They had attitude. 
James Carter was a pastor of the University Baptist Church of Fort Worth, and he shared an experience from his younger days. He said he called it the greatest tithing testimony I ever observed. He waited to see the manager of a grocery store one day, and as he was there, uh, a, a widow lady, he knew to be a widow lady, came in, and she ca was cashing her Social Security check. And at the time, in that day, it was $55. So the grocer said, how much do you want? And she replied, it doesn't make any difference just as long as I have a $5 bill and 50 cents. Well, the owner gave her the money, and the preacher, James Carter, noticed that she took the, a couple coins, put it in the $5 bill, folded it up, placed it in a corner of her purse, and the... the Grocer was looking at her kind of strange, and she said, this is my time. I put it separate so I won't spend it. And the preacher said, I never forgot that. He said, it influenced my own giving and faithfulness in the area of tithes and offerings. This lady didn't have much, but she honored God because she loved God. You know, stewardship is not a matter of obligation. It's a matter of love. It really is. It's when a Christian says, I, I just, I love God and I want to do everything I can for his work and for his cause. And part of that is going to be giving. Giving, when done properly, is done from the heart. And the attitude of the Philippian church was, Lord, here's our heart. And when God had their heart, seriously, he had their wallet. Um, Go back to Philippians chapter 4. And notice the completion of the deed, verse 18. Now again, they had done this a number of times, but he now talks about a specific time. They had just, Epaphroditus had just come, or had recently come. And he says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Two things about the completion of the deed. First of all, a saint was supplied. We could focus on the last part of verse 18. We will in a moment. But two things happened in this verse. The first was that a servant of God was supplied. He had what he needed. He was full. And they had a part in that. Look, when a missionary goes to the field, they have expenses, they have costs, they, they have needs. Uh, that, that is not just for food, but quite honestly, if they're going to start a church and a work, they have to rent a building, which, by the way, we need to be praying for the Peros that God would, would provide now that they've had the fire in the building they were renting, in the place they were renting, that God would indeed provide and supply a place that they can afford. But there are a lot of expenses. There are a lot of costs. And having a part in that and giving meets the need of the missionary. You see that in verse 18? Paul said, hey, it met my need. And that's a good thing. And by the way, there's joy in that. It's joy in being able to say, hey, the Lord has allowed them to have a church. And the Lord has provided for them. They have plenty to eat. And God has provided for them. And he's used us. Now, it's a great thing to be able to say that. But notice if you would, and I think, the emphasis probably was on the second part of this verse as far as Paul was concerned because not only was a saint supplied, but the Savior was satisfied. Look at what it says. He says, the things we see received, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable 
while pleasing to God. Do you know in the Old Testament that many of the Old Testament sacrifices were given, not just sacrifice, but they also gave incense, and the incense was burned when the offering was made. Um, the, the temple had a unique odor. Uh, so unique, by the way, that no one was allowed to make the mix of ointment that caused offering the, the offerings that were made to God, the incense that was burned. It was against Old Testament law to do that, as far as God was concerned. God dealt very seriously with that matter. The picture he gives here about the children, uh, the giving of the church at Philippi is that their giving was like that incense that burned in the temple. And get this, not only were the people affected by the odor, they could smell the offering that was being made, if you would, the odor from the incense, but that odor was smelled by God. You can look in the Old Testament, you'll find a number of times that a sacrifice went up and it was a smell that was well-pleasing to God. And he used that, that reference, that picture that the Jews would have understood in the Old Testament. I don't even know. I would suspect the church at Philippi would have understood it to say, your offering is like a pleasant smell in the, in the, in the nostrils of, of God. It's like... Wow, am I pleased with what they've done. That's beautiful. Have, have you ever done that? Have you ever said, wow, that's beautiful. That's what God, that's how, that was the picture. It's very, very picturesque. It's, it's a, verse 18 is beautiful. It's as if they sent, they sent physical things to Paul and God smelled them. <sighs> That's good. It was acceptable. And look at these words. Well, pleasing. That's what he said about giving. Now, all of that is said before Paul ever said, my God shall supply all your need. And I don't know, it almost seems like it's kind of tacked on at the end of the whole thing. We emphasize verse 19. And I'm not so sure that the church of Philippi was really all that worried about it. Because they had a heart for giving, and they learned all things about giving. But the conclusion that Paul wanted them to know is this. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I've heard a lot of preaching on verse 19. And I, and I couldn't even do it justice in the time we have left. And I'm not really all that concerned about it because I think you understand the verse already. God has promised that when I give with the right heart to provide for the work of the Lord going forward, whether that's in giving missions, whether that's in giving to the Lord's work, whatever you want to call it, because it was given specifically to Paul and to those who ministered with him. When I give to God's work so the work of the Lord moves forward, um, that God is well pleased with that, and God will see to it that my true needs will be met. That's his promise.
That is his promise. I was thinking about, uh, about the fact that a lot of times we will never know how God did it, but he will. Have you ever thought that maybe the great deal you got on that item you've been looking for for a long time and you found it at like a dirt cheap price was just God saying, I smelled your offering here. Have you ever thought that maybe, maybe your furnace works better than anyone else's in your neighborhood and your, your price on, that you're paying to keep your house warm this winter is less than others, but you will never know it, but it's God saying, that offering was good. Have you thought that the, the fact that the, the money your husband gives you, ladies, to, to buy groceries, which you know isn't enough for groceries, yet it meets the need, it, week in and week out, may very well be just the, the wonderful hand of God saying, that offering was good. Here, I'm going to make your dollars go further. The truth is, you and I may never know. Sometimes we may. Sometimes it's going to be clear and obvious. God has blessed Tax return I didn't expect. Um, but there could be a lot of other ways in which God provides and gives back. And he will. He will. Because he does not lie. Paul promised to the church, but my God shall supply all your need. But it comes in the context of of people who were first given to God, who gave to God's work as they were, as they believed God led them to. And the promise is, I'll take care of you when you obey me. Now, that's what God teaches. I wanted to preach on the subject of giving because we have the commitment Sunday coming up. Because we need to think about what God wants us to do. Because we need to think, not just, how has pastor, has pastor made me feel guilty enough to give more to missions this year? Because that really isn't it. The question really is, have I given myself to God? And I'm, am I going to listen to what he wants me to do? And if you will, and I, I, I will give you the very same promise that Paul gave because it's given by inspiration of God. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's the context. That's the lesson of Philippians chapter 4. And I don't know about you, um, but this applies to me as well. Um, I want God to meet my needs. And I will tell you this, he has. He has abundantly. I have far more, far more than needs being met. Um, and that's be, not because I'm special. It's because God is gracious and God keeps his word. He does. He does. So, Christian, um, if you want to see the fulfillment of Philippians 4.19 in your life, then be like the believers at Philippi were in Philippians 4.14-18. And then count on the promise of God that he will supply your need.
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I am not going to ask for a raise of hands today, nor am I going to have a come forward invitation because it, it just doesn't seem appropriate. But what I have been doing and I'm calling upon you to do, if you know Christ as your Savior, because this is for believers, is to be a vessel that God can use and be a giver. Not because this church needs you to give, not because missionaries are starving, not because we have made commitments, but because God loves a cheerful giver. And because God rewards and God puts fruit to the account of those who give. And because God uses the giving of people to meet the needs of those who serve. And God meets the needs of those who give. And it's right. So will you determine as we close the service in prayer to, to give as God would so lead. And then pray about it and ask him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the wonderful picture you have given us in this portion of Scripture. And the wonderful promise of verse 19, that my God shall supply all your need. Help us, Lord, to be in a place where we can expect you to work on our behalf. Because we are giving people. And I will thank you for it. I'm praying for the Commitment Sunday that, Lord, you would meet the needs and we'd be able to do more for missions. But I pray more than anything that each one in this room, myself included, would give with a right heart for the glory of God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.